Good afternoon and thank you for tuning in to this November 9th edition of The Rewind, your Tuesday news podcast. I'm your host, Emily Thompson. In today's episode, we'll take a trip to the Somerville Flea Market with Rewind reporter Aaron Klein. But first, a conversation with Daily Reporter Tom Guan about last month's dispute between Tufts University and the Somerville City Council over Tufts' decision not to pay its dining workers summer wages. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us at The Rewind. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. Uh, this is such a such an honor. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been following your reporting on the Tufts labor dispute with the dining workers. Can you tell me just how long you've been following this beat and covering this topic? Um, I started doing dining last fall, so fall 2020. I think my first article on it was published in late September. Um, with Alexander Thompson. Yeah, so pretty solid amount of time. Um, Can you just give me like a brief overview um, of the past year, I guess, of this dining dispute and how it's kind of culminated to the point that we're at? Tell me a bit about when they started the collective bargaining agreement with their union, Unite Here Local 26, that represents the dining workers and what were the terms of that agreement um, and when that was like agreed upon? Yeah, so for for listeners who who might be not as old as I am, actually the year before I came to Tufts, 2018 and 2019, um, was the year Tufts Dining Workers unionized. There were huge rallies and protests from students and community activists in support of their unionizing effort and they they did so successfully and they're with um, United Here Local 26 um, which signed a collective bargaining agreement with Tufts and it's actually a pretty interesting document if um, if people are interested in policy just want to check it out but the articles under dispute for this specific issue of Dining workers' summer pay are articles 30 and 36. The backstory is that this summer, dining workers were denied unemployment benefits. And one of the arguments dining workers had for collecting these benefits is that nowhere within the collective bargaining agreements established whether there are year-long or school year employees. So if you look at Article 36, it just a definitions. It just says regular full-time employees, uh, employees who work 40 or more hours per week, or regular part-time employees, blah blah blah. So nowhere in Article 36 say whether they're school year employees, which means that if they do not have work over the summer, it means they're essentially laid off uh, by Tufts. That's the workers' argument. And and also Article 30 is called alternative work, which establishes that if the work available in dining services during the summer months is insufficient to provide work opportunities for all bargaining unit members who are interested and qualified to perform the work, the university will seek opportunities for temporary alternative work within the university to offer such employees. So it is interesting that 
the CBA itself kind of acknowledges that workers might not have work over the summer and that it is Tufts' responsibility to provide them work. But because COVID happened and, you know, campus operations were still mostly not normal uh, this past summer, like usually they they would have on-campus summer courses. They had, they fly people from all over the world to attend conferences on Tufts campus. I think there were other like summer camp kind of things. None of them really happened, so they didn't need more dining workers. Which is why uh, that article within the CBA was especially contested. Yeah, so the first summer after COVID hit, the summer of 2020, these workers did receive unemployment benefits. Yes. Yes, and so what changed in the next summer? Why were they denied unemployment benefits in 2021? Yeah, so what Tufts would say, and I, I guess this is the the correct legal interpretation of this, is just that last year it was Massachusetts who provided the unemployment assistance because it, it was a special circumstance, but the Massachusetts Department of Unemployment Assistance did not extend uh, the same benefits this summer. Um, so this was Tufts' argument. It wasn't us, but it was just the state that did not provide um, those benefits. Okay, so the workers aren't receiving benefits from the state that they had got the previous summer, and Tufts isn't providing work for them or all of them. How did the workers respond to this? The the ones I've spoken to were, were quite angry at first. Something they uh, kept saying was that they trusted Tufts. Uh, they said that Tufts asked them to just fill out the forms and be honest on them about their, their contracts and employment status, which they did. But then I, I think some of them actually received one or two employment benefits at first, but then they started all getting uh, denied. I, I mean, I, I do remember calling calling one of them very early in the summer, and the kind of desperation she was uh, she was describing was very striking. And in late July, the Tufts Labor Coalition and many of the dining workers uh, held a summer rally um, to protest and to urge Tufts to do something about this situation. Yeah, so can you talk to me a bit about what you reported on um, with how the workers were notified that they were going to be disqualified for unemployment benefits? I don't think, so I don't actually think Tufts was the one who who informed them. They filled these forms out and they were denied by, by Massachusetts. Do you know when they were told that they would not have summer seasonal work this year? I, I think most workers knew that they weren't going to have work over the summer. They were more worried about reasonable assurance. So reasonable assurance just means that if the employer gives their employees reasonable assurance that they will be rehired or uh, the, the employees will return um, uh, in the next term, then they will not be recognized as being laid off. Um, so what happened earlier this summer was that 
the workers, uh, most of them, their last week of work was from May uh, 9th uh, to May 15th. And then on May 12th, they received a letter from Tufts that they were offered reasonable assurance uh, and that the first day of summer work was May 16th. So it just meant that there was a four-day window and they can kind of prepare for what's going to happen next because if they did not receive reasonable assurance, it actually would work a little better for the workers in that they can be seen as unemployed. But just right before summer work started, they were told that you're kind of in this limbo where most of you are not going to start work tomorrow, but also you're not seen as unemployed either. Yeah, so they receive this news. They start calling on Tufts. And what are the workers saying in response to this? They wanted answers from Tufts. They were just wondering why, after they fill out the forms honestly, that Tufts would deal with their situation so irresponsibly. They thought that, and it seems to be true, that even even if Massachusetts does not provide assistance, Tufts did not offer any help either. Tune in to our next episode for the rest of my conversation with Tom, where we discuss what happened when Tufts Labor Coalition and local politicians got involved in the dispute between dining workers and the university. In the news this week... Tuesday, November 2nd, was Election Day in Boston, Medford, and Somerville. Michelle Wu made history as the first woman and person of color to be elected mayor of Boston. Katiana Ballantyne was elected mayor of Somerville, and Brianna Lungo-Kern was re-elected to a second term as mayor of Medford. The CDC recommended that children ages 5 to 11 receive Pfizer's pediatric COVID-19 vaccine. Chapter 32BJ of the Service Employees International Union, the union that represents custodians at Tufts University, had a rally on Friday, October 29th in front of West Hall in protest of Tufts' failure to extend its contract and meet its demands. The protest was held in collaboration with the Tufts Labor Coalition and was attended by workers, union representatives, students, and community members. Before the rally, the contract between 32BJ, SEIU, and CNW Services, a facilities contractor hired by Tufts, was set to expire on October 31st. A few hours after the rally, Roxana Rivera, Executive Vice President of 32BJ, SEIU, announced that the contract had been extended to December 3rd. On Sunday, October 31st, TCU Senate passed a resolution calling on Tufts to stop considering legacy status in the undergraduate admissions process. The ACLU of Massachusetts filed a lawsuit against the city of Boston for evicting people from the Mass and Cass encampment without providing them with alternate housing options. The suit, which was filed on behalf of three unhoused people, comes shortly after acting Mayor Kim Janey declares substance use and houselessness in the area a public health crisis. Alternatives to eviction, including Suffolk County Sheriff Steve Tompkins' suggestion to house people in former ICE detention centers, have been met with lots of criticism. Next up, we hear from Rewind reporter Aaron Klein on how the Somerville Flea Market, which ran August through October in Davis Square, showcased the creativity and resiliency of the Somerville small business community, even after a grueling year and a half of COVID-19. 
you're hearing are the sounds of the Somerville Flea. Friendly chatter, live music, sales being made, a few of the staple sounds. And while the market is lively now, for over a year, it went quiet. On March 12th of 2020, the Somerville Flea announced that their planned March 2020 market would be postponed due to new caution over the spread of COVID-19. And later that month, the Flea announced that all upcoming markets were canceled until further notice. Nearly 17 months passed without the Flea, but with vaccination rates going up and transmission rates going down, the Somerville Flea reopened its outdoor market on August 1st, 2021. For many market-goers and vendors, this was a welcomed return to form. One of those vendors is flea market veteran Kevin Wicho. Wicho started vending at the Somerville Flea with his family around 10 years ago. My mom walked by this market, and um, my mother has been collecting for years and kind of have a little bit too much stuff, so I um, thought this would be a good place to start selling things. and. Uh, so I ended up starting a business like that and been going ever since. Wicho's tent, which he calls Wicked Wicho, is stocked with brown books, vintage clothes, small ceramic figures, and other wild tchotchkes. Normally, there are flocks of people interested to purchase Wicho's pickings, but during COVID, things changed. It obviously had a negative impact in regards. We pretty much went a year without the market, which was tough. But since the market's reopening, business is quickly bouncing back. I feel like um, since we've gotten back, um, business, business has really picked up, and I think um, people maybe like have missed the experience of like uh, you know face-to-face interactions. Um, so things have really picked up since we've gotten back, which is nice. This has probably been uh, one of my better seasons, um, and yeah, um, people seem to enjoy being back as well. And people there certainly are. Wicho's tent and the flea as a whole are full of faces, mostly maskless in the outdoor air. And while many veteran vendors like Wicho have returned to the flea since its reopening, plenty of post-COVID newcomers populate the tents too. One of those newcomers is Julie McDaniel. My name is Julie McDaniel, and my pronouns are she, her. McDaniel started selling at the market this past summer after the flea's reopening, establishing her pop-up shop, Root Purpose. She saw the flea as an opportunity to channel her hobbies. thing is I'm into textiles, I make things, I'm a quilter, I make masks and things like that. But I also have a little bit of a thrifting addiction. I love to go to thrift stores and yard sales and estate sales, and it was a venue for me to, to, um, to give things back. And giving things back is crucial for McDaniel. Right, I probably am price things a lot lower than other people do. But for instance, today I, I sold a mirror for $10. Well, the truth is I found that mirror on the side of the road and I just, I can't stand the idea that it would have been thrown away. So someone's like, wow, it's only 10 bucks. I'm like, sure, 10 bucks. Um, so as long as I'm feeling like I'm paying for my booth and I'm giving things back to the community, I, it's all good for me. It's that sense of community and connection that McDaniel feels makes the flea so special. People really search for those kind of connections with other people, and online shopping only gets you so far. And that community includes local students, too. Some of McDaniel's most memorable market moments have surfaced through her interactions with the student community. There's a lot of students here, and they had this, like, wow, I could use that in my new apartment. And you're, you're just getting that secondhand thrill of, oh, they got a steal of something they really need, you know, and, and it gives me a better idea of what 
this clientele is looking for. They like small, like little dressers or side tables. You know, they don't have a lot of money, so I think they're really enjoying the experience, but also finding that perfect first thing for their apartment. McDaniel has sold her goods at the flea twice now, and she feels that the outdoor market has provided the community with a much-needed breath of fresh air. I think there's a, a level of of comfort with being outside. There are people, there's fresh air, and I think post-COVID, this is the way to go, to be outside as long as you can. I think this is a great solution for all that COVID, you know, desire to, to be out, to mingle with people and feel safe. So I, I think it's, it's a win-win. The outdoor summer markets have provided an excellent outlet for community interaction in a waning COVID world. However, COVID isn't over just yet. Now, here's the problem. Today is our last day, because now what do you do in the winter? And here, McDaniel raises a good question. The October 17th market was the final outdoor flea of the season, and with increasingly cold weather and COVID still present, a problem emerges. Can an indoor winter market coexist with COVID? As of now, the answer to that question remains uncertain, though the prospect of an indoor winter market looks good. According to the Somerville Flea's social media, Plans are positively progressing to hold indoor December holiday markets, and the fleet plans to release more information soon. Even with future plans still being formed, one thing is for certain. Against all odds, the Somerville flea survived the pandemic, and surviving with the flea is its core of community and connection. For The Rewind, I'm Aaron Klein. Coming up next week... Tufts announced free on-campus clinics where eligible community members can receive a COVID-19 booster shot. At this time, individuals who received their second dose of the Moderna or Pfizer vaccine more than six months ago or a single dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine over two months ago are eligible for a booster shot. You can register for a clinic online at coronavirus.tufts.edu. Almanac, a musical written by Tufts students Harrison Clark and Ben Misrich and directed by Tufts professor Maurice Parent, is showing on November 12th through 14th in Cohen Auditorium. According to the Department of Theater, Dance, and Performing Arts Studies website, Almanac asks, What is the true price of cultural and artistic agency for the Black American artist? And how can we define Black art? You can find tickets online at tuftsdramadancetickets.universitytickets.com. Thursday, November 11th is Veterans Day, and there will be no classes. That's it for this Tuesday edition of The Rewind. Join us next week for more stories from the Tufts Daily. Our producers are Perry Barrist and Chloe Courtney Bull. Michael Friedman, Aaron Klein, and Emily Walker are our audio editors. Hannah Harris is the executive audio editor. I'm your host, Emily Thompson. Thank you for listening.